0: So how many are you taking care of?
1: <laughs> right now we have five.
0: Wow. <laughs> one biological, one adopted, three foster. How about that? So, yeah. And we're with Bethany. Oh, you are? So you, okay. So we get the community. No, just kidding. They're <laughs> busy. Oh, yeah. They're the largest in the country. I didn't know that. Yeah, it'll be good to see what's what's happening there. You folks have a special interest in adoption? Or? <laughs> oh,
2: we're putting the spot finally. Yeah. yeah.
0: Oh, that's Good. He does lead in paths of righteousness for his namesake, so he knows that, how to lead us in that area. But that's good. Um, I thought Joy and Stefan did a great job last week of just sharing some personal things, observations, their journey. <clears throat> it's involved. Yeah, And of course you all know that. And well, let's let me have prayer, <clears throat> and then we'll get started and uh, hopefully it will make some sense. You're pushing the buttons for? Yeah, it's already started. Okay, all right. So to those in TV land, we're glad you're here. So let's have prayer then we'll get started. Father, we thank you for the Bible. If we had not had the scriptures, uh, our thoughts would be all over the place. And yet you've allowed us to have the scriptures so that we will know how to think about you and every other area of life, and we want to thank you for that. As we turn our attention to the Bible and some of the things that you've shown us in the area of adoption, we pray that you would help us to have the insight that we need, that we might marvel at the way you care for us, but also that you might personally suit this to each of our lives, so we do thank you for today. Thank you for caring for us, and we'll thank you in Christ's name, amen. Let me ask you to turn to Romans chapter nine, either in your Bible or your device, as they say. Jerry, when you and Carol were growing up and first married and going to church, if somebody would have said, turn to your device, what would that have meant? (laughs) Wouldn't have had a clue, huh? They'd have probably found a reason to run us out, so I don't know. (laughs) Your devices, your yeah, <laughs> <That's right. laughs> Yeah. Most folks are not aware that in chapter nine through 11 of Romans, God has been dealing with Paul has been dealing with salvation for the first eight chapters. And then he realizes somebody's gonna think, well, what about Israel? Has God forgotten Israel? Is he, what's happening since God is now offering salvation to the Gentiles? And so he begins in chapter nine, he's really concerned for his own people. I tell the truth in Christ, I am not lying. My conscience also bearing witness with me in the Holy Spirit, uh, Romans nine. I have great sorrow and continual heaviness in my heart. I wish that I myself could be accursed from Christ for my brethren, my countrymen, according to the flesh, who are Israelites, Jewish people. And then he begins to list all the privileges that they have. Notice the first one, to whom pertains the adoption of all the things. He starts with that one. The glory meaning God's glory, the covenants, uh, the giving of the law, the service that's the priesthood, the service of God promises. But he begins by saying to whom pertains the adoption. Israel is adopted. Now for our class and our discussion, what that should do is elevate the whole topic and discussion of adoption. God understands adoption. He also uses adoption to accomplish his purposes. We can certainly see that. And what I'd like to do today is look at the relationship that God mirrors in the scripture of his adoption relationship with Israel and just kind of stand back and learn some lessons when we think about adoption in general. I think that is that says launch i don't want to launch anything sometimes the cursor doesn't work all right here we go. let's try this one See if that's up there. What I'd like to do, if the computer will help me, is to look at four areas of Israel's life that are reflected in the scripture under this category of adoption uh, birth, this early life and development, uh, young toddler into maybe early adolescence, and then the area of adult living and then the very future. And God has a lot of scripture for each one of those. Uh, The reason I've broken it down there is because when we think of adoption, it's pretty easy to think of kids in general in that same thing. Um, And if you'll go to Ezekiel, if you can find that book, I just want to settle down here for a bit. And again, it's on on your paper there. But let's just begin to look at this as it relates to what God says about his relationship to the nation of Israel. And I want you to think because I've got some questions as we go through here. God is speaking to the nation of Israel in Ezekiel 16 verse one, again, the word of the Lord came to me. Verse three, thus saith the Lord God to Jerusalem and you have your birth, your nativity. Verse four begins, as for your nativity on the day you were born. And then the last part of verse five, that phrase, you were born. So he's talking about Israel's birth, and he has this incredible description of what God, in a sense, says he saw when Israel came into existence. Verse four, as for your nativity on the day you were born, your navel cord, your belly button cord, was not cut, nor were you washed in water to cleanse you. You were not rubbed with salt, nor wrapped in swaddling clothes and then no eye pitied you to do any of these things for you to have compassion but you were thrown out into the open field when you yourself were loathed on the day you were born so what we have here is a picture of an abandoned child unwanted totally uncared for now just look at what it says here in in verses four and five there are four things that that were not done. And from a birthing standpoint, just, just total neglect. It's hard for us to imagine anything, but he, he's describing this. The umbilical cord was not cut. Uh, there's a reason that needs to be cut. Uh, they the baby was not washed or cleansed, rubbed with salt. They did that and they still do it in the Middle East. Not only for cleansing, uh, it helps firm up the skin, I am told. Sounds kind of strange to us, doesn't it, to do that? And then also not even any clothes, but just totally abandoned. Now, historically, and Jerry is in on these things here, it refers to a time when God had brought Abraham into the land of Canaan at the very beginning. He and Sarah had Isaac, Isaac and Rebekah would have Esau and Jacob, Jacob would have his 12 sons, but for that entire period of time, uh, the nation of Israel was really just a small family. In fact, when it was Abraham, he was the only one there, he and Sarah, they they were it. Uh, They were surrounded by other people groups. Uh, They were weak in the sense of being able to defend themselves, defendless, could have easily perished in that beginning period where Abraham was looked on as an outsider. He just didn't fit. And that's the period that he's thinking about when he says this. But the question I have for you, why in the world would God present this history of Israel like this. Why why would he do it this way? Talking about an abandoned baby, a neglected baby, um, just just kind of think in that area. There's some things. The Bible in the Bible we have a lot of history, but it's not about history. Uh, there are a lot of people in the Bible. Their their development, their growth. Uh, their lessons, their mistakes. But this is not a book about people and how they grow and in their, their individual lives. This is a book that refers, reflected in the revelation of God. God has revealed Himself to men, we know in creation, conscience, circumstances, Christ is the most clearest of all. But in the Bible, God is always trying to teach men something about Himself. So why would he do that? What are are some of the things that God would hope we would just, ah, when we think about this picture, what is God in the background trying to help us to understand when we think about adoption? Just anything, anything come to your mind at all? Because it's not just about adoption, it's not just about the area of history. God is really trying to teach us something about Himself. So He's walking along and He sees this baby abandoned in the field. And I know that's that's a different kind of question, isn't it? First thing, uh, I think it God's way of letting us know that every baby is important to Him. I think mean, that's the first thing right up front. Every baby is important to him. I think it also kind of hints at uh, God knows there are times when babies will be abandoned. And in fact, he's telling us that he knows when they are. I mean, this is the moment of birth. He sees this baby. He knows exactly what the baby needs. And it's just opening the door a little bit for us to understand that God really is not only aware of, but He has a special attachment to this subject that we call adoption. Um, And that should become a little more obvious as we go through this. Um, I think it also tells us that God uses adoption to accomplish some of His purposes. He has plans things that he wants to accomplish, and sometimes he will use the life of an adopted child to do that. The next two weeks, we're going to look at Moses and Esther, two people that God, through adoption, saves the entire nation of Israel. It's kind of a phenomenal thing. But as we begin this, what I'm looking for is to try to help you to connect that when you're thinking about adoption, God is not off somewhere in the distance and that's a nice little subject for us to talk about. No, He's front and center and directly involved. And he, and he kind of reflects that through the nation of Israel. Are you with me so far? Okay, God is interested in adoption. I have adoption is, is rooted in need. Maybe a question we see the abandoned baby. Does this, what what we have described here, does this still happen today? Yeah, it does. Now not all adoption is related to total abandonment, but that does happen. I was reading some of the uh, articles I could just scan through and uh, this year in Ohio, there were about 50 infants that were left either at a police station or at an adoption agency or something, just totally, just totally abandoned, 50, just in that one state. Now, I want you to look at verse 5. What are the three phrases that you can pull out of that? Why would this abandonment take place in this picture? What are the three phrases that help us to understand why this baby in, in, in Ezekiel has been abandoned? See those three phrases? Yep. Mhm. You yourself on day you were. Know, yeah. Isn't amazing? And to think that, that 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 attitude still exists there are times when children are born I don't want that baby. I just what am I going to do with that? That's just going to be a problem and if you were to google search reason children are placed into adoption you'll get a list of the reasons and a lot of it will have to go back to these particular words not all of them but it's this is not a good world this is really a tough tough world so adoption is rooted in need let's see if I can get this thing to move ahead all right we find out that God has a response in verse 6 When I passed by you and saw you struggling in your blood, I said to you in your blood, live. Yes, I said to you in your blood, live. And then it talks about how God nourished this baby that had been abandoned. I'm gonna let you be Hebrew people for a while. (laughs) Anytime in the Bible where you see something being repeated like this in the the verse, it's totally for emphasis. And it's the idea God is not just saying it. He is really involved himself. This is emotionally charged. And he's saying you have got to live. And emotion, or I have adoption, expresses compassion. And in the book of Deuteronomy, it says that when I put my love upon you, it wasn't because you were bigger than anyone else, you had more to offer, you were the weakest, you had nothing to offer, but I set my love upon you, and I have that in your notes. And God's response is totally out of love, this baby has got to live. Now, if we had the cops here, if we had the Weavers here, we could easily ask them when they had a moment similar to this, when they saw the child that they adopted and they were so, uh, the emotion was so swollen within them, they just felt, I have got to have this baby. I have got to have this baby. The reason I'm bringing this up about the emotion is is because there are a lot of people who will see the needs of children and they will be stirred, but they really won't even think a thing about doing it, anything about it. They're just, they don't, they don't see their life in being involved in adoption. They don't see themselves going in that route. But there are those who, when they see this, they are so moved, they have got to get their hands on that kid. They, they just, have, we have got to save this kid. And God's heart prompted him to act. And there is, I think, a a special relationship between adoptive parents and God in that people who adopt are not just like the general population who see a need and are aware of it and may be moved by it. But when there are people who are able to see things the way God does and they have to respond the way God does, he's using adoption to meet needs, there is a special relationship between that adoptive parent now and God because of that, that the general public is not really going to buy into. They're they're not going to see or understand. When a person takes a leap to become an adoptive parent. It's for life. And it's just different. You're wholly involved, and certainly God is too, but God not only, I believe, allows some people to see what He does, but to feel what He does. And God uses adoption to take care of things that only He can. And this whole relationship to Israel is kind of the foil, the the model that people who are adoptive parents can stand back and think, you know, God understands. What did God do when this happened? How can I learn from God? How can I trust God for this? Where other folks are not gonna think too much about it. It's just very, very different. It, go ahead.
2: He like immediately felt. Yeah. yeah, he actually had a dream or a vision about that baby before
0: they actually picked him up. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. Yeah. God is not wasting His time <clears throat> or hours when He begins to talk about adoption and using Israel as an example. Uh, God knew that there were going to be adoptive parents in this world, and He wanted to be able to give them a resource book to let them know that they would always be able to depend upon God, but there are some things that adoptive parents have within them that the general public is just not gonna have. Just They're wired differently, and I guess they have to be, but God really elevates the importance, the specialness of adoption when He takes Israel, makes that nation His own, and then uses this relationship and puts it in scripture so that we can all see it. Now, the reason most of us haven't seen it is because we're not adoptive parents or haven't been, but it's always been there. And God wants us to know it's there. I I just think it's a phenomenal thing, Uh, but that's the beginning. All right, are you with me in this relationship between God and adoption? I just wanted to put it in the biblical context. Let's go to the next one, the next phase where we look at Israel's young years. And I have on your sheet the early years when Israel was young, a toddler and a young child. And the whole chapter of Hosea 11 is like this, but notice what he says, when Israel, I have it on the screen, when Israel was a child, I loved him. Out of Egypt I called him my son, so he's a child, my son, that adoption. It was I who taught Ephraim to walk, taking them, the nation of Israel, by the arms. The the menfolk back in Jewish days, they would spend a lot of time with the kids teaching them to walk where they would put, and we know this picture because we've all done it as (laughs) Taz. We've all done it where we put the little feet of little ones on our big feet and kind of walked a little bit. And that's what's being described here when it says, I taught Ephraim how to walk. And what God does is he interjects himself and shows that he is personally and very tenderly involved in the life of this adopted son, Israel, this child. And in the rest of the past, when I took them into my arms, uh, when kids who are learning to walk, not maybe doing too well, but they get frustrated or they get tired or they just plop and they do that, uh, the dads would then pick them up and just hold them in his arms. And what you see is God being pictured as a human, compassionate, fully invested daddy who's working with this child at the very youngest of age, which is neat. Now what our country hasn't got, when we think of the social assistance program, and I'm not opposed to people needing help, getting help, but kids need more than food, and clothing, and shelter. They need a family. A paycheck doesn't cover that. And what you see is God's personal involvement, tender involvement, because he loves this child. God is directly involved in wanting to see adoptive kids loved. Pretty obvious pretty obvious, and he will use, again, adoption in some ways to go ahead and, 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 and accomplish some of those things. And then the other verse from the book of Jeremiah, this is what the Lord says, I remember the devotion of your youth, how you loved me and followed me through the wilderness. Now, you remember where that period of time was, the wilderness going back into the promised land. They wandered for 40 years. The older generation murmured and complained. They all died, but it was that younger generation that came through and inherited the promised land. I remember how you loved me and followed me through the wilderness, through a land not sown. Israel was holy to the Lord, the first fruits of his harvest And what he's saying that God says that in that younger generation, when they were going through that very difficult time, they were everything God had ever hoped that they would be. They were holy. They were his first fruits. The devotion that they demonstrated toward uh, God was phenomenal. Uh, At the end of Joshua, during that period, Joshua challenges the nation of Israel to follow the Lord. And then it says that Israel followed the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders that outlived Joshua. And you have this long period of time, it says, because they had known the works of the Lord. And there was a period of time where Israel was everything that God had hoped for. Now... Here's the question we need to ask. Maybe as some parents, you can help us with this, adoptive parents, or maybe uh, Jerry and Carol, you've heard something from Jonathan that can help. Mm -hmm. When have been moments where as a parent, a foster parent, adoptive parents, where everything was just the way that you had wanted it to be, and you thought, this is everything that I could ever, ever have hoped for with my child. Have any moments that stands out like that to you? Jonathan ever say anything where, this is everything I have ever hoped for my, for my child. Anything come to mind? issues. Mm-hmm. There's, yeah. yeah, we're going to get into that next <laughs> because Israel got to add some issues needs with them to kind of work out. But how about adop- or, uh, foster parents, special moments that you guys have had with your kids. Uh, anything come to mind? Yeah, that's great. For sure. Yeah, that is great. Yeah, yeah. And I, I mean, I guess I was thinking back to our adoption,
1: and without going into too much detail, but the day the, he was a foster placement, and then he went to a hearing about I, it was a normal whatever hearing every couple of months, and they said we don't need a hearing, we don't need to discuss it. They just ended the the time and said the parents want to um, waive their rights um, to you guys. And so mm-hmm. they said, we don't have to go any further. We're going to get the paperwork and they're going to sign sign over to you. Wow. Which we were shocked. Yeah. But I remember my biggest fear and challenge to those that are like thinking about it would be don't let your fears keep you from pursuing it because I was most worried about loss, like we had Personally, had losses prior, not in the dot with miscarriages, and so I the whole jumping into it was I don't want any to deal with loss, like bringing a child in and saying goodbye. So I was not sure about doing it, and then I was like, that's just a selfish reason. Like God can take care of that. So He definitely rewarded. I feel like it was a reward to me. Um, I mean, to both, but to just show, he was our very first placement was our little boy that we were able to adopt, mm. and um, we weren't expecting that. We thought it was an emergency placement. He was out of the hospital, almost a fatality. Wow! And um, so it was, it was almost like God just said, "See, I've got this. You're okay," you know. And now that's really not a fear I have anymore at this point. Mm. <laughs> Maybe it's back there, but. I'm like, yeah, we just need to let God take care of those, and so that was definitely a moment that I just, like, dropped to the floor when he was on the phone saying, he's going to be ours, and just seeing my, our oldest son, who's ours, um, realized that he had a little brother coming, or officially, and um, so I, it was actually, Joel was keeping. The day that we went down on the parent, it was his birthday, our son's birthday, that the parents officially signed over huh. the rights. So he says, we have a little video of him saying, On my birthday, his <laughs> real actually mom and dad signed that we actually get to keep him. So <laughs>
0: that was those are the really cool moments in the trenches of all the <laughs> yeah. the tough of foster care. Yeah, I think one of the things that God's trying to do with these two verses is to make it very clear that adoption does create very special moments. God was thrilled that He could have Israel for His own. His investment, His natural investment focused on their care and just enjoying that. one of the if bethany is not able to be here the last study in the new testament of the teaching of adoption this could be a picture of all of us individually we have been adopted by god because of our faith in christ and to think that god really personally is that interested and in having these special moments as well as helping us raising us and just enjoying who we are uh, just can blow people right out of the water. This gives it a good emotional balance when we think of God's relationship to Israel, because we all know that Israel wasn't always the pleasant child. (laughs) But God took the time to remind us that there were outstanding moments between him and his adopted child, Israel. And I am glad that, that people can have that experience too. Uh, Thank you for sharing that. And that's great. That is great. Special moments. All right. Most of what we know about Israel is that they have been, and I took out different phrases that the Bible gives us in their attitude toward God. And We'll go to Hosea in just a minute. That That's a very small book. It's easiest to go to the book of Matthew and then go backwards, all right? Turn to Hosea chapter 11 because I want you to see this in just a minute. But Israel didn't appreciate uh, what God had done for them and wanted to wanted to uh, uh, live life on their own. Uh, my son and his wife, they have three kids. And uh, their oldest sharp gal, just got her first job graduate from Cornell. Got not a cubicle, got a main office. She's just set up for life. She thinks she's made it. <laughs> the The son is out of school for this is his second year he went to college during uh, the covid but was confined to his room and didn't have a very good experience so he's not even wanting to go back to a covid situation may learn a trade uh, sharp kid great kid and and there was a time where he knew more than anyone else in the whole world as a teenage son okay he just did All right. Uh, kind of comes with teenage territory at different times, and their youngest was watching all of this. And then, after telling everybody that he knew more than anybody else, and having left the house, he kind of he's embarrassed by that now. But uh, she was seated at the table. She was about 12, and. She says, I get so upset with him. I will never act that way. I will never do this. And our son simply said, well, how old are you now? You got four years and you'll do the same thing. I will not. Guess what she's doing. <laughs> and and uh, so he has, he sends these subtle messages to his daughter, the youngest. And she is a great girl too. How old are you now? And she just, you know, and but they all go through that. Israel went through that. And it's all the things that God says they just weren't listening. They didn't care. And twice in the scriptures, God says to them is what what more could I have done? And what you have God going on record as being the perfect parent and there were some real issues that they had to deal with. There is a phrase that's um, adopted children syndrome, and maybe some of you have read this, and there are specific needs that sometimes adopted children have that impact their behaviors has nothing to do with them and has to do with things that have come into their life and things that they haven't sorted out yet that and I don't know that it happens to all of the, the kids who experience adoption but there are those it's enough so that it's been documented and there are some real issues that that kids especially if they have been old enough to experience rejection or what they term rejection uh, how can they trust anybody in their life, that is a big one. What is the one thing God says over and over again to us in the scriptures? You can trust me. Well, we need to hear that too. But this, these things that they aren't old enough to understand, uh, that create behaviors, uh, that make it difficult not only for the child, but also for the adoptive parent. And this is where I thought Stefan and Joy did an outstanding job last week of talking about some of the issues and how they incorporated that uh, understanding uh, for their girls to understand their heritage, Chinese heritage, make them feel attached to it, uh, just even planning on taking a trip back to China, Uh, but different things and how they have responded to needs in the, the girls' lives. But it was all very intelligent. They understood that there were some things that were really happening here. Here's what I want you to see God doing when he ran into this wall of needs. In Hosea chapter 11, we started with this. Did you find that little book? Okay. When Israel, verse 1, when Israel was a child, I loved him and out of Egypt I called my son. As they called them, so they went from them, they sacrificed to these other idols. I taught Ephraim to walk, taking them by the arms. They did not know that I healed them. They didn't know I was the one that brought them out of the, the Egypt and took care of them. I drew them with gentle cords and bands of love. I was to them as those that took the yoke from their neck, I stooped and fed them. And it's a picture of God setting Israel free from Egyptian bondage. When the Egyptians were making them build all of those things, uh, taskmasters over them, God simply reached down broke all of the cords set them free from that slavery he drew them with the cords of love there's a song written about that he he was just doing that but in the last part of verse 3 they didn't understand that it was god that was doing that now god's doing everything for them but they don't understand that and how god's going to take care of them verse 7 my people are bent on backsliding from me Uh, and then verse 8, if you want to dig deep into this, get out your computer, Google search Hosea eleven eight 8, meaning, and you will get several commentaries that, that will explain what this means. But when God is saying, how can I give you up? How can I hand you over? How can I make you like Admah?" How can I set you like Zerbolim? These are two plains in the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah that were totally ruined when God rained fire and brimstone and just turned everything into ash. He's told them he's loved them. They didn't understand it was him. He still loves them, but he's going to have to deal with some tough love love with them. But then he emotionally bursts in verse 8 and just says, I can't let go of you. I just can't let go. No matter how hard you make things, how hard life becomes for you, I can't let go. Which I think kind of gives us kind of the cue for what adoptive parents, foster parents, sometimes natural parents, you just can't stop loving your kids. We just can't. We just can't. God knows that there are times where that He's going to have to sustain the parent as He cares for the child. And there are issues down in the trenches that, that sometimes people are going to find themselves into. But the last picture we have of God's relationship with Israel is God constantly paints this this golden age where everything is going to be just right. Everything is going to be just right in the future, where Israel is going to be settled in the land. They will be all totally devoted to Him. They will their love will be complete in every way, their behaviors will be complete. And God's going to do that when he gives to the nation of Israel a new heart. That's where it starts. So it's never a behavioral issue. God wants us to focus on the hearts of kids too. But there's coming a time when God promises there's going to be a golden age. It's not always going to be in the trenches and in the difficulty. And so my question is to you, What are some of the promises that can help adoptive parents as they face the future, sometimes the challenges? What are some promises? God is the model adoptive parent. He knows how to care for the child. He wants to care for the child. He's arranged adoption to meet needs of of children. But what are the promises in this relationship? What are the promises that God makes that can help parents just to know that they can trust God for some hard days? What do you think? Definitely, definitely. Uh, God understands the trauma of adoptive parents when they go through their struggles, because God is expressing that here. That should give a little personal support to the person who is working with the child, because of some of the issues that are faced. There are some unique issues you know, in parenting. We, uh, we don't get a course on parenting until we actually get there. We don't know how to parent until we get there. And it's the same whether it's a natural parent connection or adoptive, uh, there are some things we're gonna to have to learn on the spot and work through. And again, one of the reasons I'm convinced that God presents himself as the adoptive parent in the scriptures, is to support the parent who feels like, what in the world am I going to do? I have no idea what I'm going to do here. Well, God got through that with his own people and has been very successful. God wants to support the adoptive parents. And any other thoughts come to your mind as you think about adoptive parents needing just encouragement along the way? God knew what he was doing the moment adoption took place. He could see the whole thing unfold and uh, I think you'll really appreciate how God used adoption in Moses' life as well as Esther's and how God cared for and shaped them in spite of the circumstances that they had to go through to get to where they were going. It didn't need to be a difficult situation. Let me, let me share one thing with you that you can hang a uh, stake in the ground. Isaiah 44, you need to see this for yourself. There was a time <clears throat> when the nation of Israel, this unruly child would not listen to God, And God said, okay, there's really nothing I can do. You're going to have to experience some hardship. And he said, you're gonna go into captivity. And finally, when the bottom drops out and the parents are now, these Israelites are taken to Babylon and they're gonna be there for 70 years. There is this awful realization, what have we done and what's gonna happen to the kids? It's all about the kids. And God gives these parents a specific message because they realize their kids are going to be raised in a foreign soil, everything's all messed up. They messed it up as parents, they knew that. And in, okay, chapter 44, The captivity has happened. These people have been moved into Babylon. That's the last verse in uh, chapter 43. But now here's what God says, chapter 44. Uh, Yet hear now, O Jacob, my servant, O Israel, whom I have chosen. Thus saith the Lord who made you and formed you from the womb who will help you. And I wish you could see the emotion of what God says. Fear not O oh Jacob my servant and you Jeshurun. It's a Hebrew word, oh my darling, that you can't put any more emotion than God puts into a phrase than he does that. It's only used a couple of times, whom I have chosen or whom I have adopted. I will pour water on him who is thirsty. floods on the dry grounds, I will pour my spirit on your descendants, and my blessing on your offspring, and he's talking about the kids now, and they will grow up like willows, one will say in verse 5, I am the Lord's, and let me kind of share with you what's going on here. God is pleading with Israel that they understand how deeply he loves them. That's the first thing. And then he goes into this picture that we sometimes get lost. Uh, I will pour water on him who's thirsty floods on dry ground. Um, I was raised in Ohio over by Indiana. The ground is as flat as this. Uh, Our granddaughter at Cedarville can't get over flat ground. And in Cedarville, there's a little roll. I brought her up to where I was raised, and it literally is as far as you can see, as flat, as flat as this. You can stand out on the road in front of where I was raised, look down the road five miles, and see the railroad flashes going at night. There's just nothing out there. It is really flat. But in the summer when we would have real hot seasons, the ground would crack, and we'd go around and pick up these clods. You could just pick up the whole clod. Some of you probably guys have done that from time to time. That's so what he's talking about here. I will pour upon him who is thirsty, floods upon dry ground. He's talking about water that needs to, to re to loosen up the soil, to make it so it can grow again. And what he's talking about is not just Uh, a little bit of water that's needed, floods upon dry ground. There needs to be enough water that can loosen up these clods and get things to be cohesive again as the soil. I will pour water upon him who is thirsty, floods upon dry ground. He's saying to the parents, if you come to me with your brokenness and with your yearnings, I will fill that. I will take care of that. He will, by his spirit, then care for the kids. I will pour my spirit upon the kids, your grandkids, and they will begin to rise up and say, we will follow God, I will honor God, I will do this. You put all that together, the message is really simple. God is telling the parents, you stay close to me, I'll take care of your kids. Yeah, yeah, I think that's, you know, and you see it in farming, you see it. Uh, Can you see what God's saying to the parents? They're thinking, what are we going to do for the kids? What's going to happen to the kids? He says, you stay close to me, I'll take care of the kids. That's as as clearly stated here for the parents, and it applies, I am confident, just to adoptive parents or foster parents. Uh, There are times that's all we can do. God is not going to let us be God. We have to trust God through this process too and walk with Him. But there is a golden age that God will do everything He can to help parents, adoptive parents, and their kids to get to. God's taken the whole Israel, the nation of Israel there. He's taken the whole world there. He will take us there eventually. And the Bible is filled with these promises of a golden age because he can care for things. So, My, my purpose today is to try to put adoption into the area of, of a biblical context where we can see God as the adoptive parent, which should elevate the whole discussion of adoption and give it some importance, but that God understands adoption. He uses adoption. He wants it to meet the needs of children who are in this world. And he knows all about the cycles that people go through. And he is a God that can be trusted even for that. There are some though, I do believe that are not the common sector. People who carry adoption on their heart to the place of deeply getting involved. I think share a part of God that others are not gonna really understand totally. Seeing what God sees, caring the way God does, getting involved with adoption the way that God did with the nation of Israel, writing things out to fulfill his purposes for Israel, uh, I think should be an encouragement to everyone who is either considering or experiencing adoption because God is right at the forefront leading by example. Okay, and I've done all the talking what kind of thoughts are running through your mind as we wrap this up for today. Okay, we got started. All right. Next week, next two weeks, we're gonna look at people who were adopted, some of the things that they went through, and just look at them, the adopted child, and how God worked with them Personally, I think it will be a good shift now for our study. Okay, is it okay? You got your theological mindset on? God is the adoptive parent. Okay, let's thank God for salvation and then we'll be gone. Father, again, we thank you for your goodness to us. We have been adopted. We are so thankful for that. It is our prayer, Father, that you administer real support to those who uh, are thinking through this, who are going through this, uh, and also give them so many wonderful moments. They will always be thrilled that they have taken this as their journey. But Father, thank you. You are for whatever we face in life. You are a God that we can follow and trust. So again, bless these families and we'll thank you in Jesus name, amen. Appreciate your patience. Thank you.